the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Connected, Episode 1, What Does It Mean? Recorded October 2015. Welcome to Connected, the show about the Internet of Things, connected devices, and much more than that. This is our first show, and because of that, we wanted to give you a little background and history. First of all, for those of you who may not know me, let me tell you about myself. My name is David Danto. I've been working in media technology since my first internship at AT&T Corporate Television Center in 1978. Over the following decades, I've had many roles. I've been a director of engineering for broadcast and cable TV networks like Financial News Network and Bloomberg TV. I've been in charge of AV and multimedia operations for institutions like NYU um, and, and financial services organizations like Morgan Stanley and Lehman Brothers and J.P. Morgan Chase. And today I'm a technology consultant. In addition to the, all of that, I wear a lot of hats in the industry. I'm the director of emerging technology for the nonprofit IMCC International. I've been a member of Infocom's adjunct faculty for almost 10 years now. Um, and I've been a judge for the Consumer Electronics Show three times now, including this year, which I'm jazzed about. I also have the opportunity to speak about collaboration technology at many industry events. Um, all of these wonderful opportunities have kept me close to, and as you can see, surrounded by technology and gadgets and junk for my whole career. So when AV Nation TV asked me to host the show to explore IoT, I jumped at the chance. So thinking about it, naturally, my first question was, what is IoT? What does it mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to people in the industry? Um, this first show, which is recorded, we put it together. We asked some, some folks that you'll be familiar with what it means to them and what some of the terms mean to them. And then I interviewed uh, my friend Joe Burton at Plantronics as an expert to find out what it really means to him. So thanks for joining us. Here's what everybody had to say. In the AV world, sensors are things that sense. <laughs> it's hard to describe it any diff more differently. Um, I mean, they're they're what tells us you're in proximity. They're what tells us what's around you. Um, they're, I guess, machines that take the place of our senses, either hearing or seeing or sensing. <laughs> it's hard to describe without using the word sense. Sensors are, you know, devices and, and little pieces of technology in your house, in your business, in a, a another product that can sense something and send information that it sensed. So whether it's a door lock or, or something like that that notifies that a door is open. I would explain sensors as something that is kind of like an if-then. If a sensor or it's something that detects something, then something happens, whether it, you know, door opens, a light turns on, window shades open, um, a sensor would detect something, whether it's a person or a behavior. Smart devices are phones, tablets, anything really that has, I guess, an independent brain or independent senses. That's where all the sensors come into it. Um, and they're capable of doing more than just, you know, running a video or running a, 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 an app. They can take input from on their own from their environment and then do things based on that info, I think. A smart device is a device that thinks so that I don't have to. Smart devices seem to be everywhere and everything. 
whether it's a, a TV to a smartphone to a you know IP video camera to a little dash button from Amazon. I would define a smart device as, um, as a device that does something in addition than what it was designed to do. So you have an iPod, it does more than music. It does video, you can make notes. You know, it's a phone that, you know, you can access the internet, you have a million apps. It's a TV that, you know, allows you to reach the internet, that allows you to get on Facebook. It allows you to do something other than maybe it's intended, intended design. Um, Zigbee is a transport standard or a communication standard for for wireless things, mainly in home theater world, which means most of us in the pro AV world never touch it other than that one AMX remote a couple of years back that we still have at my house. Um, Z-Wave is a flavor of Zigbee, maybe. I, I could be completely wrong because, I, I, again, it's more in the resi market, but... Um, I thought it was a flavor of Zigbee. <laughs> no, I think it's an alliance. Uh, it's it's uh, their coalitions, right? And standards, actually. I believe uh, Zigbee is a standard, and Z-Wave is a is a group of people. Uh, Zigbee and Z-Wave are automation protocols, or you know, connectivity protocols uh, for multiple devices that allow them to talk to each other and. Uh, do different things depending on how you're using them, whether they be door locks, light switches, and dimmers, uh, and, and stuff like that, remote controls. Zigbee and Z-Wave. I know that they are a type of control protocol, but what they do on a deeper level, I really don't quite understand. That's kind of the scary part. We don't know. In theory, if your phone senses something, it just goes to your phone and makes it respond appropriately, but you can't tell. And that's where kind of the sci-fi, paranoid craziness of the whole Internet of Things comes from. It goes into the cloud. <laughs> that's a wonderful question, and that is up for debate depending on who you talk to. Uh, a lot of it, we hope, stays secured and, you know, uh, centralized so that it's not open data across the network uh, and across the great greater web. But that's not always true. Um, it, it goes all over the place, usually to the manufacturer sites and their servers, but all over the place. I would hope that it's being used for what what people are telling them it's being used for, but um, I don't. I have no idea. The government, Facebook. Well, that was really interesting. Some of it was kind of ridiculous, but that was really interesting. Um, and the answers that we got from our colleagues are, as you can imagine, all over the place. And these are from pretty smart people too. So it's no wonder that the topic is so confusing. So joining us to help provide some clarity um, is my friend Joe Burton. Joe serves as Plantronics Executive Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer. In this role, he's responsible for setting the overarching technology and product strategies um, and leading Plantronics global engineering, marketing, sales, and product teams. Joe has a great perspective on IoT collaboration and technology in general, having held several key leadership executive roles at firms like Polycom and Cisco and Active Voice in the past. Joe, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Dave, thanks so much for asking me on. It uh, seems like a great show. 
So let's give you the first crack at this, just like we had uh, all of our guests kind of pinging at it. What is the IoT? What's the Internet of Things, and what does that mean to you? Well, you know, Dave, um, you know, my answer is probably going to be a little more tame than some of your other guests <laughs> that we heard from earlier. Yeah. But uh, but nevertheless, uh, I'll, I'll give you mine. So for me, the Internet of Things, uh, and I think for a lot of us, it's really a network of physical objects or physical things that have been embedded with electronics, with software, with sensors and with network connectivity. So what this does is it enables these objects to collect and exchange uh, data from the physical world around us. So the Internet of Things allows objects, real objects in your life, uh, your watch, the uh, door in your house, uh, uh, your toaster, your coffee maker, uh, your car, certainly, and yes, indeed, your headset. Hopefully, we'll get to that at some point. But it allows all these physical devices in your in your in your world um, to um, collect data, to sense their environment, and then be re uh, controlled remotely across existing network infrastructure. So this creates a lot of opportunities to uh, uh, integrate between the physical world and the computer world. Um, with all that said, really, um, I'm not a big fan of the term Internet of Things. Maybe this is the controversial one for you. For me, uh, today's Internet isn't the Internet of computers or the Internet of web browsers. It's the Internet. Um, the way we look at it, at least at Plantronics, is that um, all we're really doing is getting the next evolution of the Internet. It's evolving. It's expanding. Computers and mobile phones connect. Now the Internet's growing to connect uh, all the physical uh, items in our world as well. Is, is that why there's such a controversy around the term? I mean, I know I, I hear IoT all the time. Uh, Cisco has come out. I think their, their term is the Internet of Everything. I mean, is, is, that, is all that the same? Are you all talking about the same type of connectedness? Um, you, you know, you know, we are. I think when we hear people talk about uh, IoT, which is, of course, Internet of Things, um, IOE, Internet of Everything, which is Cisco. I've uh, even, uh, even heard a little bit of IOA, Internet of Anything, uh, floating around from a couple of energy companies and such. Um, everybody's talking about approximately the same con uh, construct. They're talking about taking every physical device in our world and literally adding sensors to it, making it smart, and then pushing all of that data back upstream so we can, uh, so we can uh, do big data, do analytics, find trends, find patterns, and we can intelligently control. Now, when Cisco says Internet of Everything, um, uh, the key is everybody kind of sees their world when they look at it. So Internet of Everything, Cisco and a few other companies, I would say the main difference is the E version is really about the smart networks, and it is a big problem to be solved. As we get tens of billions, hundreds of billions, in a few cases, there's people even predicting trillions of sensors online over time. Um, there is a bit of a networking problem here. How do we intelligently move all that uh, data around? As you might imagine, uh, the the Cisco's of the world are very focused on the internet on the internet problem of that. So um, I tend to think that E stands for network. 
Okay, let's let's pause you there for a second because that's a very interesting point that you bring up. And I, you know, when 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 you say censors, I know I'm of an age. I know a lot of our viewers are of an age that the first thing we think of, you know, is Mr. Spock at the console trying to figure out what's going on on the alien planet. What do we mean when we talk about censors? I mean, is is it, that's a very overarching term, and I guess it can cover a lot of different things. You know, it, it really is an overarching term. Uh, it, it, it's an overarching term, and. Uh, it means kind of what we think it means. I'll go into that for just a second, Dave, but I'll also talk about why sensors are suddenly exploding. And there's a, there's two or three things that are happening here. So when we say sensors, what we're actually referring to is very much uh, uh, is very much Mr. Spock or uh, Dr. McCoy out with his tricorder figuring out, uh, you know, exactly what's wrong with the person or what's in the rock. Sensors literally are 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 these computerized are these computerized things that can sense things about the physical world i think of the the canonical definition of sensor being something that is able to sense about the physical world so it could be a temperature sensor a light sensor radiation sensor um physical touch pressure water humidity etc uh, etc et so a sensor is able to detect something in the physical world and then send notification back to the uh, back into cyberspace about it now what's happened that's so exciting over the last few years dave is um sensors have become uh cheap plentiful and low power so that's a lot of why we're seeing the Internet of Things. So where where uh, where a few years ago you might have had sensors that costed hundreds or even thousands of dollars and needed a dedicated DC power connection to get them to run, and they were as big as a rock. Suddenly, those same sensors are you know the head of a pen, cost less than a penny, and um, and there and and take almost no power. So suddenly. You know, your iPhone or Android phone can have 20 or 30 sensors embedded in it very cheaply. Your headset can, et cetera, et cetera. So these sensors becoming readily available, cheap and uh, and small and power efficient has really led to a lot of the explosion in the Internet of Things. That's great. Now, now that raises an interesting question. So we now have inexpensive, plentiful miniaturized computers trying to have use as many of your words as possible that understand things about the physical world and collect and send data where's it going uh, you know that's uh that's a really good question and there's a lot of answers to it and boy as an industry we're going to be sorting this out for a long time yeah that's, that's so, kind of why i bring it up i'm not looking for you to solve it you know all standing on one foot or in one breath but can you give us a sense of what all the controversies are going to be around it and what all the issues are? Um, um, so, no, but I can give you a sense for a few of them. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Yeah, indeed. So, you, you know, so all these things do tremendously. Uh, they have, like any technology, boy, there's a yin and a yang. There's a double-edged sword. Um, there'll be more good than bad. These have the opportunity to uh, sense everything about us as individuals and tell us if we're healthy or not, tell us if you have heartburn or if it's a serious heart condition, and I think we'd all be really excited about that. Um, 
until it gets sent to our insurance provider without our knowledge and they use it to uh, hike our rates, um, on and on and on. So there's all these double-edged swords. So the real question around all this data, first of all, where it's going, you asked Dave. Um, um, the, the Internet of Things right now really is an internet, meaning it's an internetwork of a whole bunch of tiny uh, islands of uh, sensor data. So today, um, you might imagine I'm about as Internet of Thingy as, uh, as anybody you'd talk to, but my home, uh, my home automation uh, IoT data is all going to a proprietary home automation cloud, and all my health data is going to a proprietary health cloud, and all my car data, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we got a whole bunch of these clouds um, uh, that, that don't really talk to each other very well. Also, as we work through it, um, there are some really interesting questions. As long as we're talking about are Joe's lights on, yes or no, in his house, um, the stakes are pretty low, and I don't – who owns that data? Um, it's not really clear if I own it or the service provider that I'm uh, doing home automation with. And frankly, I don't care too much. I mean, if they're bundling up that data and selling it off to um, my local power company to create better profiles, I'm not too worried. It's health data I care a lot. If it's business productivity data, then I care a lot. My CEO cares a lot. So I think the issues that we're really going to be dealing with going forward are, uh, are three or fourfold. Number one, um, it is going to be around data ownership, right? So there's a really interesting question around all those EULAs that we all uh, that we all accept and don't read. I was going to bring uh, that up. There are some great jokes about that. You know, we all click accept, accept, accept. Nobody reads those things. You know, you one of, one of the comedians said you're giving away your firstborn. You don't even know it. Well, well, you know, if they would come collector, I'd be thrilled. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, hey, she's in college, college at least, right? She's in college, so it costs a lot now. That's yeah. right. So I, I really do think the data privacy piece and around – well, so first of all, the data ownership. These things do really enrich our lives, but how do we distill for the average person uh, the implications of in exchange for getting all these really cool things, somebody's going to package up this data and is going to target market to you or resell the data, you know, back to the old thing about you're either paying for the product or you are the product, right? That, that's right. Right. So data ownership, uh, clearly security, uh, the ability to um, all these little tiny devices that are power efficient, tiny, et cetera, et cetera, loading a full sophisticated intrusion detection stack onto every one of them is pretty tough. Well, and so, that's actually an interesting point that I was going to bring up later. But since you bring yeah, it up and, and I'll yeah. change you know, you're you. I'm doing this call based on the East Coast. You're doing it based in the heart of Silicon Valley. I don't have to dodge as many self-driving cars as you do every day. And we just read a report that one of those experimental cars was just hacked into by somebody, took over driving of the vehicle. So the security issue doesn't just become who knows about my health and will the insurance company raise their rates, but it's yep. will we crash a car or down a plane or unlock a house. They become very critical issues. We, we, you know, they, they, they really do, Dave. I'm, I mean, we're moving into a very interesting world with IoT where I really do believe, and I'll tell the happy story and the sad story, because what's happening is the good and the bad are both expanding, okay, um, or the stakes, if you will. Boy, 
we really are moving into a world where everything tastes better. I mean, there's the the ability to really know about your your health. Uh, self-driving car, cars and cars with all the auto uh, stop intrusion detection and all that. You know, I, I, I read another one the other day where it, that the statistics seem very valid that something like 40% of all automobile accidents go away with $200 worth of technology. So that's to the upside. Sure. To, to your point, unless it gets hacked in such a way that suddenly all those some, all those same technologies now are, you know, causing you to crash, if you will. So I think Terminator 248 when Skynet takes over or it's we're getting closer to that. You you know, as a former military man with a technical background and a sense for adventure, I mean, bring it on. It looks like big fun. Yeah, (laughs) maybe not. Maybe not. No, I'm kidding. But, um, you know, I think that the, the, the data ownership, the data privacy, the hacking um, and then later, the internetworking. How do we really uh, get these things to work together? And I'll give you the best example. One of the things I think we would all love to have work is we all have preferences around climate, around uh, how hot or cold you want the house, uh, how hot or cold you want the house, how humid you want the house, and do you want the lights up or down? Great. All right. So that sounds pretty easy, except. What I actually want to do is set all those in this. And when I go into my house, I want that to happen. And the good news is it does today. Um, when I go into my hotel room, it's safe to say it doesn't happen. Okay. When I go to work, it doesn't happen. And when I meet you at the Dimension Data office in New York for a chat, it doesn't happen. The number of systems that would actually have to come together for that setting, that fairly easy setting, to follow me around um, actually requires a staggering amount of integration and standards that we're still working through. So uh, there's a lot yet to do. Yeah, and that's actually another question that we were going to talk about that I wanted to bring up is is I, I read it was it the story of Green Mountain or one of the other coffee companies that that created their next version of automatic coffee built-in sensor to the cup, but then treated it as proprietary yep. information and didn't want anybody else to make it since everybody was making ones for their old version of coffee. Um, and I don't know if that was the company, so I don't want to blame them. But but the, the whole idea is if I'm creating devices. To communicate with each other, I don't have any requirement at this point, do I, that my device communicates with anybody else's or that I don't create a proprietary language so only Danto's devices will work with each other, but the next guy's devices won't. We haven't worked any of this stuff out yet, have we? You know, we haven't. Um, you, well, you, you know, the good news and the bad news on that is um, – um, there's a lot of progress, but there's still work to be done. Right now, we're in the state of the old joke. I mean, have a standard. Heck, we got thousands of them. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know, so there's some consolidation. There's some work to do around getting it all to come together. There are some very good groups working on uh, on everything around standardization for IoT data exchange. It's happening in W3C, which does the web standards, ITF, which is kind of lower level web and comms. Bluetooth SIG, uh, many, many others. So a lot of these people are working on it and they're working together. As you know, though, it takes these things a while to work out. The one piece, though, that gives me a lot of hope, uh, Dave, is um, the situation you talked about with the coffee maker, and I'm not 100% sure of the name of the company either. But nevertheless, 
I followed the story. Uh, I followed the story pretty, pretty uh, uh, intently because I wanted to see how it played out, and it actually played out the way I hoped. The invisible hand of economics wins. Okay, they did this um, in order to get a two-sided business model. They wanted to sell you a coffee maker and then use IoT to make sure only their coffee pods could go in the maker. So they sold you the razor and they wanted to make sure you bought the blades from them. Okay. Well, the market voted really fast and the sensor came out. Okay. You know, their second generation product, uh, their second generation product did uh, uh, did pretty badly for a while. They 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 issued a software update that uh, that changed all that. And I think it also, you know, a few pretty influential uh, technologists slash bloggers like yourself, kind of uh, not that you did, but uh, people but people like you helped that along with some postings pointing it out. And this is the power of uh, you know the power of consumers in the internet era. They uh, and I'm hoping that will continue to guide us to the right place as we work through this. Yeah, generally, you know, the social media gives everyone in this generation an equal voice. You know, it might not be a smart yeah. voice, it might not be an intelligent voice, but everybody's got the right to say whatever they want. You know, that, that old joke about anatomy, everybody's got one. Um, you betcha. So one, of, so one of the things... And, and, that, and now they have a Twitter account, too. Now yeah. they have a Twitter account, too, and they may be running for office. So, <laughs> you anyway, never know. Uh, you never know. So um, one of the things that, 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 as you know, you and I have talked about in the past, and is one of yeah. the, my pet peeves around this, is something that I call the IOUT, or the Internet of Useless Things. In the era of crowdfunding, where, you know, in the past you might have needed to get funding or be rich or get backers or go to a large company to put a product out onto the market, there is no longer a check and balance system for getting a product or even just an idea out on the market and getting people to use crowdfunding sources to give you money for it. Now, that's a good thing because some very many things that would never have made it to the market, you know, have made it and improved it. But for every one good thing, you know, I think you and I chatted last year after CES where they, they had a product. And again, I don't want to disparage anyone or mention any names, but there was a product that let you move your hand around. So if you wanted to raise the volume on your stereo, you would make a little V with your hand and then you would like make an arrow point or a twist as if you're going up and say, <laughs> <laughs> Guys, walk over and turn the knob up or pick up the remote. We don't have to walk around our house like conductors all day. So so there are a lot of products coming to market based on the Internet of Things that aren't going to be very useful and there's no longer a check and balance. And how does, I mean, do you think economic conditions will, will satisfy that? Or will a lot of people lose a lot of seed money because these products get overhyped and nobody sees the forest for the trees? Well, you know, it's a great question, uh, Dave. And, and I got to say, um, uh, last year after uh, after CES, when you showed uh, shared with me your uh, uh, your uh, list of uh, the Internet of Useless Things, it was about the highlight of my January. I mean, you were spot on and it was funny. Um, uh, you know, this is the interesting part of our frictionless society that you talked about, because the uh, the technological capabilities have gotten so high, the costs have gotten so low. You're right. Um, one of the things that uh, I also advise a lot of startups, at least informally, and one and you might imagine people come to me looking for seed money or whatever else. Not that I have any, but they ask anyway. One of the things, to your point, I talk about a lot is, okay, do you have a theory, or are you buying a lottery ticket? Okay, 
you know, do you actually have a theory that taking this particular inanimate object and putting this sensor on it um, actually makes it better? And what's your story? I mean, grandma's going to like this because of X or little Bobby's going to like it because of Y. And I think the ones that there's a, the a theory behind tend to do pretty good, no question. Um, to your point, though, because the costs are so low and the cost of raising money is so high, and at least for the casual person, um, it's probably hard to tell a, uh, a, a theory-backed product from a lottery ticket. You know, we even see it, if you will, in, uh, even in the cell phone industry where we have companies that are deeply thoughtful about um, – their theory on screen size features, et cetera, et cetera. And you got a couple of other companies that just put out nine phones in quarter inch increments with different, I think they're buying lottery tickets, assuming one of these must work, right? Well, from, from, a, yeah. from a person investing perspective or somebody who's sending money to a crowdfunding campaign, you have to assume that everything that you would send in there is just like gambling. You know, you can't count well, on well, anything coming back. And, and, and that was my point about – and that was kind of what, for some reason why I settled on lo lottery ticket, right? I mean, you, you know, when you're buying a lottery ticket, you know, no offense to people that, uh, that think they have a lucky way of picking numbers. But generally speaking, uh, when, you pick a, when you buy a lottery ticket, it's a random chance and you could win a billion bucks, but you thinking about it doesn't increase your odds, Okay. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of that going on. And my worry, Dave, is, yes, over time, a lot of these products will wash out, if you will. Uh, you, you know, the, the lottery tickets that don't win, well, don't win, and they wind up, you know, getting shredded and thrown in the trash. The worry that I have is back to kind of the uh, overhype and the disillusionment. I'm worried that um, both the the internet of things if you will is a very powerful thing that's going to make our world better overall in my opinion well it's it's, cer it's certainly going to change our world a lot i think it's uh, uh uh greatly going to be for the better i'm worried about the disillusionment uh people will feel if literally 99 out of every 100 devices is you know a useless pain in the behind I'm also a little bit worried. You raised another important social issue for some other show, maybe. But um, um, crowd crowdfunding is a powerful force in the uh, global economy now. I, I'd hate for it to be a place where um, I, I'd hate for it to be a place where you go get money for useless things and nobody ever gets any uh, any benefit from it. And we've you know. started to see that happen. We've started to see stories of people either gaming the system or saying they really meant to have a product out and didn't. So you're right. It is a topic right. of another show. But what it does is it creates this, this ramp to a number of useless products. And it's not just crowdfunding. Uh, we should be clear about that as well. You have a number of, of, of very large companies, again, in your neck of the woods, that yeah. think that the, 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 the requirement, the prerequisite for producing a product is to have no, done no market research about it because they want yeah. the team to be fresh and have new ideas, which is, you know, honestly, my personal opinion, that's a ridiculous idea because yeah. why wouldn't you want to reject the things that haven't worked up to that point? Yeah. And, you know, you see big companies that we've talked about tonight yeah. and big yeah. companies that produce a lot of software and hardware take that method constantly. No, no, this team has to be insulated. So... Yeah. I think that's going to be one of the reasons why we see a lot of products coming out that are meant for the Internet of Things that either don't take off or slow down adoption or add risk, because ultimately there's that piece involved in it. 
So taken to the macro, Dave, I think it's a fascinating trend that uh, I spend a lot of time on, and it's it's broadly Silicon Valley related, but it's certainly the whole world. Um, if you think about uh, certainly when we were children, 10 years ago, no, when we were children, um, there was there was a lot of um, technology scarcity in the world. When we were kids, you had uh, you had to get on and off the telephone fast because of how much the call cost. You had a PBX in your company to control the cost of the outside line and share them along with other things. Um, getting a loan to build a new product had a lot of rigor in it. Uh, getting an article published had a lot of rigor in it. Uh, and an editor and it cost money. As we move into this plentiful, frictionless society where the only thing that isn't uh, abundant is human attention, um, you get overwhelmed with devices and with funding opportunities and communications and news. I think one of the really interesting issues in front of us, and that's kind of the IoT writ large, is indeed how we pick through and find the things that actually matter to us as individuals. How do we hyper-personalize the C and make it uh, and bend the whole thing to Dave? Okay, well, you know, you and I could talk about this for hours um, and, and I'd love to, but I realize that we're taking a lot of people's time and I wanted to give you a couple of minutes. You know, what's Plantronics doing um, around the IoT, because I've seen some really fascinating devices, your Concept 1 and Concept 2 and some of the other things. Can you just give us a minute or two on what we can expect to see from your company um, as it relates to IoT? Oh, sure. You, you know, a couple, of, a couple of things, Dave. I mean, as, uh, you, you know, Plantronics is, um, uh, we like to, to say, the, the, the world's biggest manufacturer of intelligent headsets. We're a 53-year-old startup in Santa Cruz. Um, we actually um, we actually have an an interesting place in that we're um, the only piece of technology you typically have riding around on your body. Okay, so there's a lot of things we've we've done, and uh, the the device I'm actually uh, holding up here is a uh, a Plantronics PLT Labs Concept Two. So this might be the next one past uh, the last time we got together. But a lot of what we're doing, uh, Dave, is, is first of all, it has uh, it in many of our products. It connects to, to all the devices in your life. So it connects to the laptop like the one I have on and to my mobile phone and to my tablet uh, simultaneously. If anything rings, I just push the button and say hello. But we're also loading them up with sensors now, to your point. So this guy actually has uh, sensors that know if it's on or off of my head. It actually knows if it's near or far from my PC. Literally, it knows how I'm turning my head. It knows temperature sensors on and on and on. And the idea of all of this is that by understanding exactly what I'm doing, sending this data up to the cloud with the permission of the user, of course, that we're, that, that we're able to actually help solving that problem of bending the, world, bending the internet to you a little bit, help to make these things a little bit easier. So if I'm on a call, uh, if I'm on a call talking to you on, uh, on video conferencing as I am right now, and my, uh, all my other devices, my Microsoft Link and my Cisco Jabber, the headset actually noticed I was on this call 
and marked those accounts, do not disturb, I'm in an important video conference. As soon as we hang up, it'll let the flow back through. So what we're really working on as we go forward is how do we help um, tame all these devices and sensors around and kind of put them under your control based on the piece of technology that's riding around on your body, in particular communications. And we don't want to minimize that. I mean, what a fabulous concept. And again, not just kudos for you, but to have this small device that takes a great functional product like Link that Microsoft produces. And I've got a visitor here, so I apologize for the visitor. Um, to take um, to take that device that connects Link to the video conferencing, you know, might be a different manufacturer or a different company. Yeah. They don't necessarily talk to each other. But with that little piece of technology going out to the cloud, it's able to put be the glue in that communication. And that's what we've seen grow in the space over the recent weeks and months, um, is that the devices that are coming out that are being successful are creating these little bridges and these little ties between technology we interact with every day. Well, Dave, that's what makes us so excited at Plantronics is, you know, even though there's uh, more and more and more devices and data in your life every day, there's only one you. OK, so as the own, as the piece of technology that sits on you and knows a lot about what's going on in your life, it's the idea of how can we help you be back in charge? How can we let things through the way you want, bridge things the way you want? So uh, clearly, we're not the center of the universe, but uh, if we can create some of those little bridges and just make your life uh, a little bit more streamlined, a little more pleasant and predictable, we figure, uh, hey, we're, we're doing our part. Joe Burton from Plantronics, thank you very much for joining us. As we go through this series, I'm sure we'll invite you back again. Hopefully, you'll join us, and we'll have another one of these great chats. I'd love it, Dave. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, that's it for our first episode of Connected. I wanted to uh, thank Blue Jeans for letting us use their uh, conferencing and collaboration connectivity so I can have my regular chat with my friend Joe, and I appreciate them uh, giving that to us. Over the next few episodes, we'll be exploring uh, the Internet of Things in a lot more depth. The topics Joe and I brought up will go into individually on some of our episodes, like devices and systems that exist today, what some of the security concerns might be, proprietary technologies uh, that may prevent rapid adoption and all, and other things. But, you know, the truth is we want this to be what you want it to be. So why don't you go to our website, avnation.tv, um, or contact me. You can get my information from any browser just by typing in my name, danto.info. This show is a production of AV Nation TV, and that's where you can find more episodes of this and many, many more pro-AV-centric shows. Um, AV Nation is pr uh, produced and maintained by working AV professionals like you and I. Uh, so go to that website and find out about everything that we do, avnation.tv. Thanks very much for joining. I look forward to seeing you on the next one. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.